Welcome to Have You Seen This, the podcast about obscure, overlooked, and misbegotten cinema. All discussions will be spoiler heavy. You have been warned. seen this and i'm here with darren hertzeg hi uh he's been a guest with us before uh darren tell us what we just watched oh we watched a a omnibus film uh aria uh by a collection of british filmmakers some you may know some you probably never heard of because oh and and a non-british filmmaker yeah altman is uh and goddard um, oh and goddard yeah so two two non-british the rest are british right yeah, it's basically um, some incredible name directors and then sprinkle in or a couple of British middlebrow hacks. Yeah, sure. <laughs> and not the director of Chariots of Fire. No, I I was telling Darren the whole time, like, oh, yeah, Bruce Beresford, he directed Chariots of Fire. No, he didn't. No, no, no. Who did Hugh Downs? That's Hugh Downs. <laughs> um, it was directed by Hugh Hudson. Thank you. That's the most generic British name ever. It's really generic. What else did Hugh Hudson do? Probably a bunch of other middle I mean, brush. Is, is that particularly important? Probably not. But um, Aria is. Aria is very important to this podcast because it's the subject, right? Yes. Um, it's an anthology, uh, 10 different directors. And uh, I'm just going to go down the list uh, Nicholas Rogue, uh, Charles Sturridge. I don't know who the fuck that is. No. Godard. I do know who the fuck that is. Yeah. Uh, Julian Temple. Yes, Julian Temple. Um, I wrote Charles Sturridge twice. That's interesting. Fuck it. Maybe he directed two segments. I don't know. He didn't. <laughs> uh, Robert Altman, Frank Rodham, who directed Quadrophenia. Right. And The Bride, starring Jennifer Beals. Oh, right. Oh, my God. <laughs> uh, Ken Russell. Ugh. Our man, Ken Russell. The, the, yes. The, the, I feel like... Not enough has been said about Ken Russell. No, there's so much to say. There's so much to say. And uh, the thing I love about Ken Russell is that he still has the power to piss people off. Even after death. Yes. Which is, yeah, the devil's continues to be controversial. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean, if he were Italian, he might have been assassinated for it. That's true. Oh, like how they killed Pasolini? Like Pasolini. (laughs) Yeah. We were speaking of Arya, the... As you said, an omnibus film. Mm-hmm. Ten different directors. Mm-hmm. Uh, Rogue, Sturridge, Goddard, Julian Temple, Altman, Rodham, Russell, Jarman, and some guy named Bill Bryden. And Brett Berenson. Bruce Berenson. Do we already say Bruce Beresford. Beresford. Marissa Berenson. Marissa Berenson and Bruce Beresford. Um, well, should we... You want to go talk about them each piece because it's very, it's a very, the linking. Uh, there, there is the there's the, a frame story, the frame story, which is, and I believe that's the Bryden one, which culminates yes. in the end. It's kind of a not a great linking story. It's well, it's not a story. It's a guy getting ready to sing Pagliacci. It's a story. It's a John Bryden, not John Bryden. John Bryden. Uh, <laughs> I wish John Hurt. Yeah. Walking through Vienna, it looks like Vienna to me. Yeah. And eventually, he goes and puts on a Perot costume and then sings I Pagliacci in a very or Pagliacci, whatever. Yeah. Excuse my Italian pronunciation. Vestile 
Dubia. Sure. Um, and then it's like he lip syncs to a really old recording with a lot of dust and crackles, which I liked about it. That's I think about- it's Caruso. Is it? Yeah. It's about the only thing I liked about it. And then he sings to this girl in an to an empty opera house, and that's it. And then he dies. <laughs> and then the movie ends. That's the frame story. It's very cut up. But um Yeah, so there's kind of there's kind of a thing linking these... it's, I guess opera, uh, like there's definitely an opera vibe, but what I what I feel about this film is that the ones that weren't so slavishly adherent to opera. Yeah, because the the dullest one was the Bruce Beresford segment, which stars a young Elizabeth Hurley, who we didn't recognize. Oh, she's so unnatural. Like, her hair is kind of She's like, blonde, and she has, like, caterpillar eyebrows. And, yeah, like, Brooke Shields' eyebrows. And her hair is, like, um, is curly and frizzy. and Yeah. And she just doesn't look like herself. She's She was about 22 at the time. But yeah. it's, um, it's two lovers singing to each other, and the opera is called The City of Death by Korngold. And then they disappear. There's a fade, right? They disappear <gasps> on the bed at the end. It's not good, though. It would have been better if they'd, like, torn each other apart. Something. Like anything. Well, another a similar <laughs> lover's theme comes into play mm-hmm. later with the... Um, who did the who did the lover's theme? Frank Rodham. Yeah. Oh, two, it's two. Br- Br- uh, Bridget Fonda, also very young. Yes. Uh, and they, like, drive with her or blonde lover guy. Two lovers drive to Las they Vegas. They drive to Vegas. They fuck. Yes. And then they commit suicide by opening their wrists in the bathtub together. Yeah, because, you know, what else can you do after you fucked in Vegas? Photography was good on that one. Yes. Not sure. The, the story was kind of like, okay, whatever. We did notice in the credits that um, Annie Leibovitz did, like, on-set photography or something for yes. that. Be- and the, the credits end with uh, a series of photographs, like, referring to each segment, and they make... They make the movie look like much more interesting. I than mean, it is. certain ones look like, for example, the Nicholas Rogue one that opens up the film. Um, an interesting cat. It's a, it's about um, the uh, how the king of Albania, King Zog, yes, falls in love with a countess or a baroness. A baroness, and um, apparently people are upset about it for some reason. Yeah, and what's interesting is that. The King of Albania is played by Rogue's wife, Teresa Russell. Yes. So if you guys are not familiar with her oeuvre, get familiar with it, because she is a spicy dish. Just watch Bad Timing. Oh, my God, Bad Timing. And then come back and tell us how amazing Bad Timing yeah. is, because yeah. Bad Timing is amazing. Bad Timing. And it's more amazing than Nicholas Rogue's segment in Arya, because um, aside, even though he casts his wife as a man, there's nothing to it. It's just yeah. a lot of walking around, getting ready to go to an opera, and some like ordinary citizens being upset and then they bring a gun and theoretically to try and kill the king yes and then after the opera which there's some interesting there's some really great zooms but i mean that's oh the zooms are wonderful you and say, then he does he like there are these canted yeah, zooms, canted zooms. which are amazing yeah the zoom like but i feel like praising rogue for his zooms is almost like redundant you yeah. just say the word Nicholas Rogue and you know you're in for some great zooms. But what I find actually f- interesting to me is he's also generally known for his sort of dreamlike construction. Yes. And how the narrative is very lazy in a way. Yeah. Um, this film did not have that. It was actually a very straightforward narrative. It was straightforward and unfortunately dull. Dull. Um, however, Annie Leibovitz's photo in the end with like it's a picture of um, – Teresa Russell is the king with the baroness on her, and it's great. Like if 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 the um, if the segment had lived up to that photo, it would have yeah, been a great. Yeah, it's like segment. you look at the portrait and you're like, oh my god, this movie's going to be amazing. What was the piece of opera that it that it was? I don't even. Uh, that was. And mind you, I'm not an opera expert, so let's see. It was Giuseppe Verdi. Okay. 
Uh, sure. That's all I know. Well, I also <laughs> I also found interesting about it was the use of text. Oh yeah, because you got almost like um, silent film like title cards, mm-hmm. but only occasionally. But then it kind of had a punchline because if I remember, it says it has the like the title cards that say "King of Albania in Love with the Baroness" yes. nineteen thirty one, and then it says "But dot dot dot," and then the whole thing happens. Yes, and then the guys come to kill her, kill yeah. him. <laughs> and then, but he's brought a gun to the opera, and he kills all all four of the attackers. I believe it's four. Yeah. And then the title card says, "But he brought a gun" or something like that, right? Yeah. It's like he kills them all. But he kills like them that. all, which is yeah. kind of like a punchline. And another thing I found fascinating was, like, I guess I never thought about the silent film aspect of it all, but that's really what it was. Yeah, because there was no there. It, there was uh, there was some foley. weird examples of foley. Yeah, but, but no, no dialogue, dialogue, and you'd see their mouths moving. Yeah, it was. I thought that one was a little confusing in what it was trying to do i feel like there was some ideas and it but but ultimately didn't really i don't know it wasn't i don't think it was the most successful no and if you do a piece of stunt casting like Teresa russell is king zog yeah please give us something like like you and you could have cast a guy in that role it it wouldn't have made any difference i'm sure Lindsay kemp wasn't busy (laughs) could have been great right yeah, but I mean, um, and you know, they didn't even have. I was expecting like some kind of saucy love scene between yeah, no the sauce. king and the baroness, no or sauce. like, were they too polite for that? I don't know. It, it was uh, it was half baked, which might, it was might explain why the film didn't do well. Yeah, what? Because they walked out during the. Well, you know, it's like you come, you that's the first, <laughs> the first segment. That's the opening one, right? Yeah, that's what you're gonna start with, and I yeah. thought it was. It could have the zooms though, capped stunning. Uh, yes. I don't know if everyone else is as captivated by Zooms as we are. I like them because, well, we talked about this on uh, a previous episode where I like them uh, because so few people use them anymore. Well, it's so dated for some reason now. Yeah. I love it. I mean, I guess, you know, there's a lot of, uh, I feel like just from a pure optical standpoint, mm-hmm. uh, there's an opinion amongst cinematographers that uh, it distorts the picture somewhat. Yeah, and it's not was, as we also not as pure as a prime lens, but seriously, like the it, Nazis lost. Purity is not all it's going to be. It's nice to have a little spice thrown in, and I think that's what a zoom provides. Yeah, is spice. Also, I don't notice that much of a distortion. Perhaps the image isn't quite as sharp. Well, I feel like it's the kind of thing where if you went you went to a movie with a, a cinematographer and they'd be sitting there going like, "Ugh, just look at that." But who wants to do that? <laughs> like, great. You know, it's, exactly. it's, it's enough to know the, the inner workings of a film, which makes it difficult to watch a film in general. But like, yeah, no, I, I, yeah. I mean, I wish – some people occasionally will, will, will use a good Zoom, but um, uh, not enough. But that's fine with me. I yeah. use them in my movies. But the thing is, is that um, in this particular segment, really the only thing we could recommend is the Zooms because the story itself is pretty dull. The story itself's dull, and yeah. Uh, and then we have a black and white piece by um, Charles Sturridge, right? Yeah, and then it's it's short. It's only like about three Very or four short, minutes. Yeah, and uh, I remember I turned to you and I was like, "Is this 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 is about Thatcher's Britain?" Isn't yeah, it's, it? it had that gritty kind of um, Thatcher. Yeah, a Thatcher's Britain era film. Like oh, I think I said, "My Beautiful Laundrette." <laughs> yeah, and it's about some little kids who steal and crash a, a Mercedes a intercut with like church imagery and the only thing I found fascinating was that there was a, a shot of like of Mary with a baby Jesus and one of the kids had that like weird distorted face that was his actual face um, <laughs> that kid was just ugly I mean I kind of, I did like the high contrast sort of black and white but it, it just yeah. felt 
Well, that's the thing. It's like, um, you know, all of these segments are like well made and visually pleasing. Most of them. But well, but you know, there's. It's like okay, what else do you have? Yeah, that's. It, it felt like they like these. Most of the directors couldn't be bothered to yeah. like come up with something beyond surface. However, there are there <laughs> there are some notable exceptions, which I believe we'll be getting to very soon. Well, what's the third one? Because um, is there anything else to say about the Sturridge one? No. No, it was pr- pretty pretty dull. Yeah. It wasn't long enough to be so Annoying. dull, but <laughs> yeah, not great. Well, it ended, and you're like, "Oh, okay, cool." Like, it okay. didn't. It didn't go on. They they gave him the short Arya. Maybe they knew he was going to be boring, so they gave him the shortest. Maybe one. he's just like, "Yeah, I'm done." Charles Sturridge. I I don't know what the what the else hell he's he... made. Okay, well, he worked on Brideshead Revisited. Okay, which one? The BBC show or the movie? Uh, let's see, 1981. The show. The t- yeah. And uh, he directed Shackleton with Kenneth Branagh. Well, with pedigree like that, no wonder the film turned out so well. And uh, the number one ladies' detective agency. So he's gone on to a TV career. Yeah, which is respectable. I almost feel like that one would have been more successful set to the tune of Streets of Philadelphia by Bruce Springsteen. (laughs) (laughs) But what I did appreciate about it was that it wasn't on the nose in the way it dealt with the opera. Like, it was something different. Unlike the one that preceded it, which was like, oh, it's an aria, and they're going to the opera. This one, at least, yeah. was some sort of, like, the grit. I wish there could have been more the juxtaposition between the grit and the uh, yeah and the, the Baroque nature of the aria. I suppose that was the Catholic imagery, maybe. Maybe. But it ended with a fiery car crash, so that was yeah. good. And it, actually, now that I think about it, it did some interesting things. Well, it didn't yeah. show the car crash. It just cut to it, and then— Well, that's expensive. Right. But then it played, <laughs> with, it played with time, because after the car crash, which implies the kids are dead, it then showed them— sort of impoverished yeah and how sad it is well yeah because it was um you assume the kids die because the car's on fire and then it just keeps cutting back to them in their tatty little bed sit by a campfire if i'm not mistaken at one point yeah looking like the jesus face yeah the, like distorted jesus baby face yeah because it seemed like um was it like just hard to get like infants to model for your madonna and child painting back then i don't think infants sit very well that's true, too. It's not like you can just take a photo. But, I mean, like, you look at a baby, and it's like, you know, they got chubby cheeks and, like, big foreheads. You don't go like, oh, well, it looks like a little old man, oh, right? Oh, I love the ones that, like, where Jesus has, like, a six-pack, the baby Jesus. It's like, I've still, <laughs> they're so weird. I mean, I don't know. That's it's weird. Yeah. Well, Jesus is strong. He's within very all strong. Of us. I mean, I'm sure he had a six-pack. Uh, no, but the movie gets better because the next segment is the Godard segment. Oh, it's the Godard. Oh, well, I th- I actually think the Godard segment is my favorite. Well, it's it fits in with your aesthetic. I mean, it opens up after you get these like this on the nose thing, and then you get black and white Thatcher children. <laughs> then you get this beautiful color shot of like a bodybuilder, yes, like working out in a gym while a woman like wipes him down. Yes, it's like these two uh, young, beautiful scullery maids, mm-hmm. you know, cleaning up in the gym, and they eventually start just kind of rubbing down the the, the burly men working out. And it's just like it's a lot of like, and the men are just only interested in their own working out and their own like personal, not muscle worship of other men, but of their own muscles. Yes. While these women, it seems like, are trying to connect in a, in a way where they're like even taking their clothes off and yeah. being naked. And then there's some dialogue. 
for the first time in the film. Which I think might have been drawn from the uh, the aria itself. Oh. Because I think the lines were echoing what they were saying in the aria. Like, she says, my eyes did not charm him or whatever. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I was that was very interesting. Very, like, I don't know. It, it was a different rhythm. And he did another interesting thing, which was... Uh, as you pointed out, making use of the, the, the quiet points when, when the aria had breaks. Yeah, there was some great, like, um, intercutting between, like, the audio, the ambient audio of the gym yes. and the aria. Well, honestly, you know, I guess Rogue has is known for his zooms. Mm-hmm. I don't know what Charles Sturridge is known for, besides Bryce, you know, yeah. TV shows. But Tele- uh, good, flat television directing. One of my favorite things I've always enjoyed about Godard is the way he manipulates soundtrack. Yeah, and calls your attention to soundtrack, like in like in Band of Outsiders, for example, when they're doing the Madison in the cafe, and all the sound drops out, and it's just and then comes in and keeps on coming in and out. Or, or actually, I'm thinking of the part. They said, let's be silent for a minute. And not only are they silent, but the soundtrack drops out for a minute. And it's pretty stunning, like, in how he does that. Um, and I think doing it in this is a little bit more subtle. Of course, it's the older Godard. Yeah. From 87, not 60, whatever. Yeah. Um, but uh, I thought it had a nice rhythm. It had good imagery. It was yeah. kind of absurd. It was playful. Yeah. Um, and, and I thought uh, it had something interesting to say beyond, like, opera it had very little to do with opera in general yeah thankfully which continued that and i like that a lot because one of the failings of the movie is that occasionally it's too literal minded yes it's like they just these guys just could not be bothered to like it's an it's opera so it's got to have something to do with opera many of them fell into that pitfall but godard we, we have to shoot it in vienna exactly i mean what a, <laughs> what a shock godard completely breaks with that like yeah so yeah so points to godard yeah um, and then I believe it's Julian Temple's. Yes, name, which, which another was another great one. It was a one-two punch. Um, shot at the Madonna Inn. The Madonna and the Madonna Inn. Like if you haven't been, you must go. It's uh, just up the one hundred and one. Every room a different theme, and every theme worth visiting. It's so good. Caveman room, Vienna room. Yeah, the the Neanderthal room actually figures in the yeah the story. It's the it's basically a, a producer and his wife end up cheating on each other. At the same hotel. At the same t- hotel and keep on. And they both do ecstasy and both film themselves having sex in the room. And then the tapes get mixed up at one point. And with uh, Buck Henry's the producer. Beverly D'Angelo has a has a part in there. Yeah, it's the buxom Swedish starlet. It's it's very charming. One of the longer. I think actually the Godard and the, the mm-hmm. Temple ones were two of the longer ones. And the, the Temple one has a lot of really cool long takes oh yeah Uh, in fact um with some very clever cuts like rope style the the cuts are like hidden i mean i i didn't even notice like Mm -hmm. for a while after a while what was going on but it was well done it was fun also didn't seem so beholden to the opera yeah like uh, there's a point where they have an elvis impersonator lip syncing to, to the, the opera, aria which which... i thought was effective yeah it was surprising and that's the thing when they were surprising when the filmmakers were a little daring i think that the, the concept soared yes but when they just played it straight yeah it was boring i feel like maybe um julian temple had a bit of an advantage because he came from a background directing music videos sure so this is in his wheelhouse yeah i mean um the guy who did the frame story is like a theater director. And his and his framing segments were very theatrical. 
Yes. I mean, I, I there were some interesting moments in, in the in the frame story, like singing to the end and, and the, the use of that grainy soundtrack. But yeah, whatever. Yeah, but the the Julian Temple um, sequence is very fun with you know sexual shenanigans in the room and and like the choreography of them missing each other and yeah, and Buck Henry is like. Uh, tripping balls and well she also does ecstasy too <laughs> before she goes into the room yeah um the wife so they're both like on parallel ecstasy and then like that they're the, the people that they're cheating on yeah end up cheating on e- with each other too. yeah so the beverly d'angelo and the guy the costuming is excellent like yes it's, it's, it's almost it's very like campy it's got a very um almost feels like a john watersy well because there are the there's glorious 80s hair and ensembles so like, good. cause the the wife shows up in like kind of a blousey like it's a lame gold and silver tiger stripe oh. belted number, and, and her, she's got like big red hair. And her lover, the guy she's cheating on uh, with, is wearing like like tight workout tights <laughs> with a weight belt and a tank top and like a crop leather shoulder pad <laughs> blazer. I mean, it's pretty pretty amazing. It's it's definitely got a. Yes. Which is interesting because it almost had more of a sort of like a gay camp vibe than the later Derek Jarman one, which is perhaps... Which is weird. Which is perhaps where the I would Derek have expected The Derek Jarman it. segment is very heteronormative. Very much so, yeah. Although the shots of, if you notice, the man was shirtless. Tilda Swinton always True. had her clothes on. Yeah, she was wearing a one-piece bathing suit. She was wearing a one-piece bathing suit. <laughs> um... But are we getting ahead of ourselves? Uh, yes, because after um, after Julian Temple, we have the the boring one, right? Probably the Dulles segment, the Bruce Beresford with with um, um, young Elizabeth Hurley, young Elizabeth Hurley, and they just sing the uh, they lip sync the aria to each other. He undresses her, and then she's naked for a while before we cut to them in the bedroom, and they're both naked, and they continue singing to each other, and then they just fade out off the like dissolve out of the bed, like they, yeah. d- they disappear, and it's like. Like, can you get like a more boring approach? It's like, oh, we want you to do this, uh, the segment in this movie, which is cons- which consists of a bunch of operatic arias. Oh, okay, I'll have my two actors lip syncing the words to the duet. Yeah, it was that one. Great job. Yeah, great job, Mr. Beresford. Yeah, I think that was the one which was to um, the Dead City. Yeah, was the opera, and well, like it was the dead spot of the film. <laughs> like. God, like, I'm trying to imagine, like, what kind of a cool-ass short you could make to something called The Dead City. Yeah, and it's just, like, especially coming off of this amazing one-two punch of Godard and Temple, like, really doing something interesting to go... I mean, maybe they had to, like, cleanse the palate somehow with a Well, they had to give the audience a chance to get up and use the bathroom. I mean, I guess the movie's not that long, though. No. So, yeah, I don't know. You fucked up, Bruce. You You fucked up. It kind of looks like The Bride. Even though he didn't do that one. <laughs> you mean a big disappointment? In fact, isn't that what made us talk about it originally? Because like, I thought the guy looked like Sting from The Bride. Yeah, but uglier. Ooh. <laughs> yeah, not not good. So you got, like, uh, Caterpillar Eyebrow Elizabeth Hurley singing to some, like, ugly lantern-jawed guy. Yeah. And then they fade away, and that's it. And, and you're like, it. what the fuck was that? It was not good, is what it no, was. No, it sucked. Um, the next one was Robert Altman, which was a little more interesting. Well, the premise was interesting. Like, yeah, which is um, apparently um, they used to let lunatics out on a day pass to go see local opera. 
Oh, what, in, like, the 18th century? Yeah, I, and I think it was shot in, like, an actual, like, old theater yeah. in France. It was an interesting choice because he never showed what was going on on the stage. Only the, like, lunatics all in, like, white face makeup and, like, high dandy fop yeah. attire. Sort of it looks like, like one of your birthday parties, actually. A little bit, yeah. Like, a lot of, a lot of uh, you know exposed breasts and sexual stuff and just lunatics being lunatics. I mean, it had like a bit of a Marat Saad yeah. kind of feel, but um, it kind of was also like, okay. Yeah. At an opera. Like, why? Come on, Bob Altman. Like, <laughs> he couldn't have done something with his signature. Like, he's also known for zo- like some of his like crazy zooms. That's Diff- true. Different to Rogue, but still. And also, I guess when you take away his favorite toy chest of you know, 50 different microphones uh, being mixed at different levels and, like, so much conversation. And when it's not there... Well, yeah, you, he couldn't really do his famous audio layering in this one because... It felt phoned in and rushed because that was a day of filming right there. I feel like this... John, if you have Paige was in that, okay. Yeah, okay. Didn't, didn't pick her out. Was I, I feel like this might have been a kind of a dry period for Altman. This was 87. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Even though I do like Beyond Therapy, which comes out came out during that time. But uh, it's not the height. Yeah. Like, hmm. Yeah. Hmm. Well, it, was, it wasn't as good as O.C. and Stiggs. What? Exactly. <laughs> I haven't even heard of that. <laughs> um, I don't even know if there's much to say because the, ca- the camera just kind of swings from, like, the pit to the balcony to the pit to the balcony, and that's about it. Yeah. I mean, the camera moves are kind of cool. But it's repetitive. I guess. Yeah, I mean, it, it doesn't repeats. He doesn't like so many of them. He he introduces something but goes nowhere with it. Yeah, and and that's that's where I think Temple and and Godard were so successful was that yeah. it progressed and it, and and I mean Godard's was a, like Temple's was more straightforward because it was mm-hmm. a plot. Godard's I guess had a, an arc to it, but it was yeah, so odd. It was very way. yeah. Um. So apparently Julie Haggerty was in that too. Well. She was in Beyond Therapy, oh. um, uh, which is interesting. I didn't notice her at all. She wasn't one of the one with her tits out, was she? I don't think so. <laughs> I think she was that like woman. I, I think I know who she was, but she had so much makeup on. Like, how could you really tell? Well, yeah, everyone was in like smudged white face. I mean, I feel like a lot of these were like, oh, well, do you guys have time to just? <coughs> we got a camera. We can get you a cast. Yeah, you know, just throw something. Come together. and shoot for a day. Yeah. Well, yeah, like, I, I think I said to you at one point, I was like, John Hurt worked for one day on this. Yeah, well, that's what it felt like. <laughs> I mean, and, although that was a lot of extras to wrangle for Altman's. I mean, that was kind yeah. of impressive. Was the, it did have his signature with having tons of people around. Yeah. It just didn't have them talking, really. Yeah. Which is fine. Yeah. It's interesting that the Godard and the Temple, were they the only two that had talking? Like, actual diegetic sound? Yeah, I mean... I don't remember any of the others having dialogue. And um, Nicholas Rogues had Foley in it, but... Some of the other ones had Foley, uh, for sure. But but those were the only two that actually had talking or sounds that weren't Foley'd. Yeah. That, um, the Julian Temple one must have been quite a job choreographing it. Well, those long takes and yeah, yeah. And it was a lot of... And it was a packed, that big restaurant at Madonna Inn, like packed Yeah, a lot of extras. extras. Well, the one thing they didn't have to worry about... was production design true because the madonna, that's taken care of the madonna at the madonna inn, inn. needs needs no help no it's it, magical it's magical it's <laughs> an amazing place um 
Okay, so Robert Altman, and then I don't, I cannot remember the Frank Rodham segment. Oh, it's the Vegas one. Oh, Liebestod from Tristan and Isolde. Oh, right, the Wagner. Of course, it was two blondes. <laughs> no, that wasn't that, that, yes, it is Wagner. Oh, yes. Yeah, see, I'm totally ignorant of opera. I need my mom here for the, the heavy opera lifting. Well, I knew Tristan and Isolde was Wagner. Yeah, okay. Um, well, as a Jew, I know you oh, love you know Wagner. Me. Um, uh, <laughs> there are some pieces by Wagner I do like, actually. But uh, I love how accusatory that sounds. A Jew. I, I know. Well, for some <laughs> reason, it's both sounds like a pejorative and descriptive at the same time. <laughs> I don't get it. It's weird. Thanks to all you anti-Semites for yeah. making that happen um, throughout history. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I mean, I guess it was. It wasn't adherent to the opera. <coughs> it had some good photography. Yes. But I found myself not caring. Yeah. Because they like they go to Vegas, they fuck, they kill they kill themselves and then Bob's your uncle, like we're out. <laughs> well, yeah, two pretty white people in love. Oh, they're dead. I mean, what 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 would the internet community of 2016 say about all the white people in this? True. Well, Kent Russell has something to to to, to shake that up, but we'll get to that. <laughs> uh, yeah, I don't know what else to say about the Frank Rodham one. Uh, it was nice. It was nice. It was nice, and it was well shot. It didn't <clears throat> irritate me like the the Baredsford or whatever. Yeah. And or the... what I what I did like about that segment was it was a glimpse of the Vegas of my childhood because. No. Um, my mom was always afraid to fly. Okay. So for vacation, we would always have to take a road trip, and we would either go to Albuquerque, mm-hmm. which is where my mom grew up, or we would go to Las Vegas so my mom could play video poker. Okay. So I was very familiar with Vegas of the 80s back before it, they cleaned it up a little bit. You put Well, did they clean it up? I mean, it's even trashier now. Yeah, in like a... Hmm. Almost in a... Um, jg ballard kind of way (laughs) (laughs) like we were talking about earlier i don't know it's like yeah now i mean it was cool to see some of the places that had closed like the sands was there and yeah like there were about five hotels that were torn down fremont street before they enclosed it and turned it into a big mall well that's the thing you know they've yeah that's if if you thought vegas could it just gets trashier and trashier who knows what 10 years will bring god knows um i liked the final shot which um it flashes back to them on the road right. and then they accelerate and drive off into the into the horizon well the, f- the photograph uh the closing <coughs> credits photograph was quite nice too yeah it's a really it's a beautiful shot of the two young lovers on the hood of their car on fremont street there was that interesting shot of the old woman coming out of the casino after they've killed themselves oh um, yeah that tableau of uh yeah the like you know, sleazy hotel, like this yeah, old, like uh, old slots woman. Yeah. Slot jockey. Chloe Outen with her, I guess her winnings or losings while these two young, pretty people have committed suicide. And they commit suicide in the most artful way too. Oh, they just look into each other's eyes in a bathtub while they slit, slit their, their wrists. Yes. The correct way. The correct way. The way that'll, that'll work. Yes. Which we won't share here cause, uh, no, we, we don't, don't want to encourage, encourage young all. suicide. No. Um, so yeah, it was nice. It was fine. Yeah, it was acceptable. Yeah, it was in the mid- the middle of the pack, I think. Yeah. Um, okay. But then, we get to Ken oh, Russell. So good. I mean, it's a bit of a play on his, uh, and I don't know which came first. I, I'm assuming this came before Pandora's Box, but I don't know. 
That's a good question. You're 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 a little more of a scholar on that. Than but I it's am, all so. coming back to me now. The Pandora's Box song that Celine Dion later popularized. Yes. Um, the original video was done by uh, Ken Russell, and it's a similar setup, except instead of a, a, a woman with a braided ponytail on a motorcycle uh, <laughs> crashing, it's a woman <clears throat> and a man in a oh, in an amazing Firebird Trans Am. Yeah. And her like hallucination, and it just starts with this amazing woman who i thought was like oh where did you dig up that porn star which you pointed out was an actual porn star yeah Lindsay drew who was a page three girl and oh. porn star and then she has this like ring around her head and there's all these like nubians come in and like do adorn these, her with jewels, with jewels like bright red rubies mystical and... surgeries intercutting with her actual surgery yeah like the the jewels represent the wound she received in the in the wreck yes which i really like this segment oh it was fantastic i mean it's it's Goddard, Temple, Russell. Those three are great. Those and, are the real draw. And they don't take it they don't take it literally. Yeah. They kind of did their own thing. They pursued their own ends. I mean, Temple I'm not quite as familiar with cuz mm-hmm. I've seen some of his music videos and I've seen clips from Absolute Beginners. Mm-hmm. But Goddard and and Ken Russell I'm very familiar with yes. and it's definitely their own. They they took the challenge, as it were, and they made it their own. I mean, even if Ken Russell repeated himself. <laughs> I'd much rather watch Ken Russell repeat himself than someone, than like Bar- Bairdsford, whatever his <laughs> name is, like do anything. Yeah, exactly. Sorry, sorry guy. <laughs> you know. Yeah, like, um, uh, wow, the thought just blew out of my head. <laughs> no, but I agree with you. Um, I liked that, I like that Ken Russell is always so over the top. It's, he's he's talking about the Lord of Excess. It's like, yeah, I'm going to cast a porn star and have her co- covered in jewels, and I'm going to have a fucking flaming Trans Am. Oh, so good. <laughs> and, like, just the way the surgery, even the, when it's intercutting with the surgery, it's this dreamy, like, white room, and the, the, the Nubian, like, king is the same as the... Uh, as the doctor and there's these like yeah. lingering looks and there's these like little Ken Russell zooms, which are very different to n- rogue zooms. Yeah. Um, I guess they're cleaner. I think Russell zooms are cleaner. Well, I feel like rogue zooms are very ambitious. They're oh, very well, long and sweeping. Yeah. There's that one that starts at the end of the courtyard and goes to this amazing statue. Yeah. Um, and, and the, and did you notice the bird lands at just the right time? Yes. Oh, that was, <laughs> I was wondering to myself if that was on purpose or like, that's on set when you go, Yes. Yeah, exactly. It was so good. Yeah. Um, but what else can we be said about the Russell? Like, it's just, I could have watched a whole movie based on that concept. That was yeah, it's on there. a thing of beauty. Like like most of Ken Russell's work. Much of Ken Russell's work. I think you should base your next cabaret on that oh conceit. And at the end, uh, somebody should drive, like, a Pontiac Firebird through the wall or something. Who, whatever genius put Russell and Steinman together on that Pandora's Box video. Yes. That's like... I don't know. I don't know how the world didn't explode. <laughs> so good. That version of the song is much better than the Celine Dion version, too. It's got well, like of course. harder guitar. It's got the trademark smoky voice Steinman girl. Yes. Um, and then the video's got Ken Russell, which has it takes the, I think it outdoes Aria by having people in like assless leather chaps and horses with flames and all sorts of things. Let's write to Criterion Collection oh, and be goodness. like, put this on Blu-ray. Oh my! Just that? Just the? Just the video? <laughs> I wonder what you could package it with. Well, any, any like, surely there's some Ken Russell detritus that they. Well, could... they could put Aria on on Criterion Blu-ray and then have a special edition oh, yeah, feature there you go. be the video. That would work, and then some of Julian Temple's videos and yeah. some of Derek Jarman's short work, and yeah, there you go. Now, who comes after Russell? 
Uh, Derek Jarman, speaking of. Okay. With a young Tilda Swinton. Very young Tilda Swinton. Uh, that one was interesting. I mean, the quality of the footage definitely had it stand out. What I liked about it was the the look of it. I thought I liked his um, sort of like use of montage and dissolves. They're very beautiful. Yeah, it was interesting. I, I think it's like an old woman like reflecting on her life. But it almost seemed like she was performing as well on stage. It was because yeah. at the end she bows, but it's not really uh, defined. I mean, I really thought the quality of the image was what was most striking to me. And I agree how it mixed sort of this washed sixteen or eight millimeter kind of look with this like black and white, like kind of like contrasty black and white, and yeah. not so contrasty black and white, yeah. and all sorts of different stuff. And it definitely had that kind of like underground look to yes it. um what was the one that i remarked that reminded me of kenneth Ang- oh ken russell's had a bit of a kenneth angry well yeah it. because uh like it, it was like lucifer rising on a stage set exactly it was like if ken russell took on a kenneth anger yeah. idea but uh yeah the jarman one was was interesting i i for me it was it was pretty it was pretty like the frank rodham one was nice and the uh, Derek Jarman one was pretty. <laughs> yeah. I mean, I've seen more earth-shaking work from Jarman. Like, I could talk about Sebastian for, like, six hours, so I'll spare you. <laughs> Let's see. So we were speaking of Derek Jarman. Yeah. Oh, and um, then we come back around to the uh, the Bill Bryden, Pagliacci frame thing. And that, le- I have to mention, like, how much I hate seeing people lip sync to opera tracks now i know i know you like the um the john well, hurt bit because he's kind of it's 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 stagey you know like he it's not um well it calls attention to the fact because there's so much distortion because yeah it's, like an, it's old an old recording yeah so i thought that was at least interesting yeah much in the way the elvis lip syncing was interesting yeah like that that worked really well but the elvis was more interesting it's, it's funny and you know like but nor like the uh the barristered segment where it's like just very that was so top. Like, Robes was even, had even an extra layer because of the silent movie stuff. Yeah. And the casting of Teresa Russell as the king. But, um. But the thing that I hate about uh, lip syncing opera is because my mom is a, is very into opera. You know, she loves, like, Renata Tabaldi and, you know, um. I don't know. All those other. <laughs> <laughs> she really loves opera. And, you know, when you watch enough opera you see how much physical effort it takes to create the sound and project it and when people lip sync to it you know it's like i'm moving my mouth it doesn't have the heft yeah it just doesn't and and, you know like lip sync you kind of accept you generally accept the um the conceit of it it's like well you know they're not singing but you know we're used to seeing it music videos but like with opera it just looks so fucking fake and stupid where it's like i'm totally singing in this operatic voice just by moving my lips yeah it it looks so terrible i hate it yeah although i will say john hurt did kind of perform it well yeah well it's john hurt he's good i give him a pass because he's john hurt i don't because he should have had an alien burst out of his chest (laughs) (laughs) he should have had like a tinier like pagliacci burst out of his chest always seems so sick and fragile in every single movie he's in he like has that like sickly look down pat yeah he does name me one movie where he's not sickly i can't i mean only lovers (laughs) left alive he's sickly (laughs) alien he's sickly 1984 he's sickly 
can't think of any other movies right now. There's so many. <laughs> what hasn't John Hurt been? He's in? had a long career. He's had a very long career. You know, this movie would have been better if it had all been Euro Trash directors. Oh, it would have been so good. Like, like you were saying, uh, just Franco. Oh my God, just Tinto Franco, Brass, Tinto Brass, Radley Metzger. Um, whoever it was who made um, Cannibal Holocaust. <laughs> oh, um, yeah. Yeah, and then there's also, what's his name? Uh, uh, Schlingenschleif, who's done a number of interesting films. Yeah. Um, well, there's this one called Hitler Year Zero, starring Udo Kier as Hitler, and at one point he does, <laughs> like, a, a dance in a, in a, a banana skirt in blackface. <laughs> I don't even know if he's Hitler in it, but I don't even know what it's because it's not dubbed. That would have fucking livened or up that this movie for sure. I feel like there is probably some sort of Euro. Well, there is some weird omnibus. Omnibus films are tough in general. I think. Yeah, they're they're always a mixed I bag. I can't think of a success. Like Four Rooms is not great. No. Um, there's this interesting. There's this one that is. Um, it's uh, Louis Mal and Fellini. And oh my god, I know I know what you're talking about, and I cannot think of the name. I can't of it think in. of the name at all, but I don't remember being particularly impressed by it. Yeah, because that's the thing. It's like you look at the lineup, and you're like, "Oh shit, this gonna is going to be, be amazing!" But and they, I don't like, think they really care. Eh. They don't. They put their all into it. Well, I kind of feel like um, it's like, oh well, you know, it's a thing you do between projects. Well, you know, the thing you should do between projects is be developing your other project. Yeah, and the thing is, is that um, you know, if especially if you're like a name director, you know, you're probably busy like prepping your next yeah. passion project and then some producer asks you like hey do you want to make this this one segment of film and they're like oh shit well okay I'll throw something together but you would think with people like Mal and, and, and Fellini I forget who the third person I gotta look this up I need to know you know what's a really terrible anthology film New York Stories oh god is that different to like New York I Love You or it's um well, anything stories I don't want to see like <laughs> well it's three segments it's, um, I think it's three. It's the ones I'm remembering. It's Scorsese, Coppola, and Woody Allen. Yes. And the Woody Allen segment is like, it's sort of funny, you know. The Scorsese one is like, it's okay. You know, it's got uh, Roseanne Arquette and uh, Nick Nolte, I think. Okay. Eh, it's all right. The f- middle one is Francis Ford Coppola took a story that his daughter Sophia wrote. Oh, here we go. And turned it into a short film, and it's fucking terrible. I couldn't even make it all the way through it. And it's the same Sophia Coppola shit of like, oh, it's about a little rich girl doing yeah. little rich girl things. Like, I could not give less of a fuck. Oh, well, that does not sound good. I, you know, I, for some reason, I thought that movie had a different name. But uh, my uh, my sources have told me what the movie is that I was thinking of is. Our army of interns has looked it up. Spirits of the Dead. The, the the three filmmakers are Vadim, Fellini, oh, Roger Vadim, Roger Vadim, then married to or was it Mal? Who was married to? Um, I think Louis Mal was married to um, uh, Bridget, um, uh, Jane Fonda, who's in it. Well, uh, yeah, and then but in fluent French, and then she married Vadim, didn't she? Did she? Maybe she. Maybe it was Vadim who she yeah. was married to. But um, the the conceit of this one is. Um, uh, Poe, Poe stories, adaptations of Edgar Allan Poe stories. See, that sounds so bitchin'. It does, but it's boring. It's like it, it's like taking an opera called City of the Dead and making something yeah. really boring out of well, it. Well, it's released by AIP, mm, American yeah, Imper- uh, International, yeah. and that's kind of the... Uh, yeah. 
translated by French poet. American oh. International Pictures provided a lot of material for Mystery Science Theater. So yeah, Aria, catch it if you can. Well, catch at least three of the ten. Yeah, you can actually like lean kind of heavily on the fast forward button mm-hmm. for this one. Definitely do not miss the Godard, the Russell, or the Temple. And Agreed. watch the Jarman one. You'll get something out of it. Yeah. Or, or the Frank Rodham ones. You'll be bad. like, oh, that was nice. Yeah, I'd say five. It's like kind of yeah. like that movie uh, uh, Jarmish's Coffee and Cigarettes. Half yeah. of them are good and half of them aren't. Again, that's the um, that's the problem with like anthology or... But that one's different because it's at least one director. One... Well, yeah. But anything with like segments or stories like kind of lives and dies yeah, it's by kind of its... like... Except I'll tell you one movie, although some are better than others, but Woody Allen's Everything You Want to Know About Sex. Yeah. It's generally quite great. However, the Gene Wilder sheep <laughs> segment is one of the 20 funniest minutes you'll ever see. Yeah. But he did, I think he, he saves the best for last with the, the sperm segment. I don't know. That, that Gene Wilder one, I saw that part for the first time when I was four or five. <laughs> that's, a, that's a great age to see and it. And it stuck with me forever. Like, it stuck <laughs> with me forever. <laughs> Isn't there another, like, medieval segment? Oh, there's a great one uh, where he plays a jester and it's got uh, Vanessa Redgrave. Oh, yeah, and she just wants him to fuck her. Or is it Lynn Redgrave? No, it's Lynn Redgrave. Yeah. There's another great one, actually, is the the Italian rip where it's all in Italian. That that movie's great. Yeah. I mean, there's – I think it's all good. Yeah. So, thanks for Not so much Aria. It's not all good. But the parts there the parts that are good are worth seeing. So. They're rewarding. If you like if you like high camp as much as we do. Go check it out. Walk don't run. <laughs> to those three sections. The rest don't watch. Don't 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 bother. Agreed. God bless. <laughs>